This is Truth Matters Church, contending for the faith one verse at a time. As we close out our preparation to study the book of Revelation, today Pastor Alex begins unpacking one of the most important end times prophecies found in the Old Testament, Daniel's 70 weeks vision. In this episode, we look at the background leading up to the vision God granted Daniel and why it's so important to understanding the interpretation. We encourage you to follow along in your Bible. Here is Pastor Alex. All right, uh, we are continuing with our study into Daniel's visions. Um, I must say we are getting towards the end of Daniel's visions And the vision that we'll be studying today and beginning to unpack is Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. And if you've been following us, um, actually, I was very eager to just do this one first because, you know, by it, I thought it was just, it was, it was fascinating. Um, Not only was it fascinating, but when you consider, I mean, all prophecies are fascinating, but when it comes to prophetic implications of the end times, nothing really rivals this 70-week prophecy because at the end of this 70-week prophecy, Israel will be rescued and Messiah will make atonement for their sin and establish his kingdom. So that takes us to the very end of the history as we know it and into this new reign, this new period, what is also called the millennial reign of Messiah on earth. So this 70-week prophecy has it all. And I do want to put you know, some disclaimers out there. It's a very, very technical and advanced study. I'm going to do my best with the Spirit's help to walk through this as we normally do. I find it even for myself that as we walk through it, it'll also keep us in line and stay true to the vision that was given to Daniel and how it fits in God's redemptive plan of history. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy, walk through it, and see where it takes us and what we can take away from it. So with that, what I'd like to do, um, before we go right into the text, we have to do some table setting Uh, We are now in chapter 9 of Daniel. And as far as when Daniel, or at least the period that Daniel 9 was written in, was in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus. He's also known as Darius the Mede. And so Daniel 9 was written at about 536 BC. And by this time, all of Israel... You know, they were under Babylonian rule from around 606 BC till about this time of Darius the Mede. So they, they have been under Babylonian rule now for 70 years. And keep that in mind. By the time we get to Daniel chapter 9, Israel has been under Babylonian captivity for 70 years. That's, that, that's important as we begin to unpack Daniel 9. And after the Babylonian empire who rose to power was the Medes and Persians. And again, that's at 536 BC. And the context here, when we get to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel was reading, it tells us the books, but we also know he was reading Jeremiah. And he came across this 70-year judgment pronounced to Israel and Judah. So in chapter 9, Daniel is reading Jeremiah, among other books. And he sees, and he's reminded of the 70-year punishment And as a result 
of taking heed to the words of the prophet Jeremiah, this is where Daniel 9 kicks in. And Daniel does open up into prayer, and we'll look into that uh, more closely. But just know that Daniel, he's, he's reading Jeremiah, and he's like, the 70-year punishment is over. Babylon has fallen. Belshazzar was killed that night after the writing of the wall, the hand on the wall. And Darius the Mede is now in power. So Babylonian, the rule of Babylon, uh, under the Babylon is, is done with. 70 years is done. So he came to realize that, and that prompts him into this petition, as we will see. So he made prayer and supplication with fasting, and Daniel goes ahead and he, he prays on behalf of all Israel. And also a little overview of Daniel 9, the angel Gabriel, he came in response at around the time of the evening sacrifice. So this is at about 3 to 4 p.m. And it is in response to Daniel's prayer and supplication with fasting that Gabriel gave Daniel this 70 weeks prophecy. So this is, again, just setting up the table before we get right into it. As a reminder, and I've mentioned this early on in our study uh, of this miniseries, why was Israel disciplined? Why did God, as part of God's discipline and punishment in Israel, why did God give them 70 years? And if you remember, it is because the Jews as a people, they weren't obeying the law with respect to the Sabbath year of rest. So in the Jewish law, among their observations, um, also within there, what is prescribed is for six years, they can toil the land. Then on the seventh year, they are to give the land rest. So that seventh year is a Sabbath year of rest. And some of you might have heard of the Hebrew word, a Shemitah. That's the Shemitah year, the seventh year. That's a year of release. It's a sabbatical year. And also in the Jewish economy, after seven full cycles of Sabbath years, then on the 50th year is a jubilee of rest. And so it's after seven complete sabbatical cycle years. So this is after 49 years. And you've had seven Sabbath rests, you know, seven years of Sabbath rest. On the 50th year is also a year of Sabbath rest. So what happened was all of Israel, they weren't obeying that part. And as, you're, as if you remember, so God said, okay, you, there were 70 years of Sabbath year rest that you refused to obey. And as a result of your disobedience, you will be under 70 years of captivity. So this is where this 70 years came from. It was in connection with their disobedience. So the um, the 70-year punishment was completed, as I mentioned, when we get to Daniel 9. And then Gabriel delivered to Daniel this 70-week prophecy and what's in store next for the people of Israel. So that's some of the context here. And some things that are of note, and I, I find this helpful for me, is keeping track on where we are in history. Because when it comes to prophecy... It, it, it does matter, uh, especially when there's a time marker associated with prophecy. But just know, as far as the, the visions that we've covered so far, uh, the first one we covered was the great statue, and, and that was at around 604 B.C. Uh, the four beast vision, which we spent a lot of time on, that was around 553 B.C. And then the ram and goat vision, which we've more recently completed, that was in 551 B.C., 
And then when we get to the 70-week prophecy that we're about to study, we're at about 536 B.C. So from Daniel's last vision of the ram and goat to this now 70-week prophecy, there was about 15 years around that time. And what we're going to do is we've always done when we study the 70-week prophecy, we're going to use Scripture. To the, you know, we're going to try to stay grounded with what the text gives us. So with that, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Daniel 9, and then we're going to break it up in two parts. We're going to look at verse, the first 19 verses, verses 1 through 19, and this is really Daniel's petition. So we're going to look at Daniel's petition first, and then we're going to look at the last eight verses in verses 20 through 27, and we're going to look at Gabriel's response. And then we're going to say, okay, well, what does this, what is this 70-week prophecy is all about? And as I mentioned in our introduction, um, it's going to be, it's a really, really pivotal prophecy that is very significant in many ways. So with that, are you guys ready to finally read Daniel 9? Uh, Daniel 9, uh, we'll read verses 1 through 19, and I will be reading from the NES. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the Lord, as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, to our princes and our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath, which was written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus, he has confirmed his words, which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity for under the whole heaven, there has not been anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord, our God, by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds, which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it is this day, we have sinned. 
We have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name for we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own but on account of your great compassion O Lord hear O Lord forgive O Lord listen and take action for your own sake O my God do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name there we have Daniel's position. And just as a little side note, um, in some of our past studies, when we started to look into some of the prayers uh, of the authors of Scripture, so for example, the Apostle Paul, you can get a lot out of the heart of prayer when you look at the heart of the authors who are praying to God. And that is no different here in Daniel's prayer. When he's offering a prayer of supplication, it's really instructive for us and we can just observe and, and, and glean on what was in Daniel's heart because the Spirit of God was in him, moving him to make this appeal to God. So it can be very, very instructive for us in the heart and our manner of prayer, which we will see. But there we just went through, in a nutshell, Daniel's petition. So let's begin to walk through this. And, and again, I want to remind us, it's, it's going to get a little heavy as we go on, but we're going to walk through this. And actually, the piece, as you'll see, I'll try to pick it up quite a bit so that we can get to the vision. Uh, so let's look at verse 1 one more time. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. So in verse 1, we have a time marker of Daniel 9, and that's the first year of Darius the Mede. And that would place the Daniel 9 at around 536 BC. Uh, so Darius, he was the son of Asuerus, who, was a, who also was a king of Persia. And this Darius was of Median descent or a, per, a Persian descent. And that's why he's called Darius the Mede. So when you see uh, Darius, the son of Asuerus, and now you're also seeing Darius the Mede, it's speaking about here, the same ruler. And it says, Darius was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. And if you're taking notes, like what's Chaldean? Chaldean is a district in ancient Babylonia. So it becomes synonymous with Babylon. So when you see the Chaldeans and Babylonians, it's speaking about that same ancient land and the people from that land. So they're synonymous as we'll see. So Darius the Mede is the first Mede Persian king to ascend to the throne after Babylonian empire ended. And if you remember from our great statue vision, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar was given that vision of the great statue and in that, uh, you know, the head of gold, the interpretation, the vision and the interpretation was given to Daniel. And he says, Daniel uh, said to Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And remember we had the, the breast and arms of silver. Here's where the Medes and Persian Empire came to power. Now we're in that portion of the statue vision of the Medes and Persians. So the question, I mean, so uh, as far as kind of taking notes, who was the first king after Babylon fell? 
and who is now the king of this Medes and Persian empire, and it is Darius the Mede, or this Persian king Darius. So let's look at verse 2. It says, In the first year of his, speaking of Darius's reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So in verse 2, we see a reference that Daniel was reading books. Uh, We know that those books is Old Testament scripture, and we know that would include Um, the book of Jeremiah. But it says here, uh, he observed in the books the number of years which was revealed, in this case, to Jeremiah the prophet. So this is in reference to Jeremiah 25. So at this time in verse 2, Daniel is reading Jeremiah 25, verse 11. Here's what Daniel read. This whole land, and it's speaking about Israel and Judah, will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. So in Daniel 9, when he's like, okay, Belshazzar died. Darius the Mede is now king. He reads Jeremiah. He's like, Lord, the 70-year punishment is completed. We are no longer under Babylonian rule. Uh, you know, now that... Darius rose to power. And this is in reference to Daniel chapter 5. And let's read that. In Daniel chapter 5, verses 30 and 31, and in the context here is when Belshazzar, you know, he threw a feast for himself and his entourage, and they used the, the vessels of the temple and were drinking wine and pretty much you know, feeling pretty good about themselves. And then during this banquet or celebration, a hand appeared on the wall, and he saw the back of it, and there, and there was writing on it. Well, that's the context of Daniel 5.31. And after the writing of the wall, and after Daniel gave King Belshazzar the, the vision, the interpretation of what that is, is that your kingdom is done. And that very night, let's read it, verse 30, that same night the hand appeared and wrote, you know, that, that the hand appeared and wrote on the wall, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. And just so you know, there's a lot of good history about just what happened here, like what happened to the fall of Babylon because they were a pretty, pretty mighty fortress and they even had trenches built around you know, their, their fortress that had water and they were pretty much untouchable. But if you kind of follow history, it's pretty cool when the Medes and Persians were, um, were, took them down, they diverted the water away you know, and then they, 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 they funneled it away, and then there was like these two large iron bars that were pretty much, and there was no way no one's going to get through that, and some way, somehow, it was open. And if you read some other scriptural prophecy, that could very well have been done by an angel of the Lord, because his time, his kingdom, was determined to come to an end. So all that is to say, while the writing of the wall was happening, they were infiltrating his fortress, and he was taken out. And then Darius the Mede, at the age it says here of 62, became king. Pretty, pretty amazing stuff. But this is all prophecy. This, you know, I'm just kind of giving you a summary of it. So this was pretty significant. But just know that at the end of Daniel 5 and the beginning of Daniel 9, they're, they're connected on the same account because now we're in the first year of Darius the Mede in Daniel chapter 9. And as you kind of read Daniel 
uh, it's kind of scattered. Um, there's time markers. Like, it's, it's not chronological, um, but you, you try to pay attention to the time markers and who's in power to know where, are, where you are in history. And just, just um, for myself, that's been kind of an interesting challenge, but it's also kept me in line and not, in lo- not losing sight of the big picture. So now let's go to verse 3. So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So after Daniel reads Jeremiah and he acknowledged that the Babylonian 70-year rule over them is completed, this is what prompted Daniel's petition. He's like, okay, Lord, through your prophet Jeremiah, you said 70 years will be under rule of Babylon, Darius the Mede, has now rose to power. Babylon has fallen. We are now under the Medes and Persians. And as a result, this is where Daniel gave his attention to the Lord to seek Him by prayer, supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So this is what prompted the petition. He has come. He is reminded that the 70-year punishment is over. And here he begins his appeal. Verse 4, I pray to the Lord, my God, and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. So here in this petition, Daniel is confessing his sins and the sins of his people before his God and says, who keeps his covenant and in the heart of Daniel's petition and this is something that's instructive for us he acknowledges that God is merciful and that he will keep his covenant and loving kindness for those who love and keep his commandments and as I mentioned he also intercedes on behalf of all Israel for their rebellion and disobedience so this petition is filled with repentance and appeal to God for his loving kindness. Verse 6, Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, including Jeremiah, which we read, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. And Second Chronicles 36 echoes the same thing, uh, beginning in verse 15. Uh, the Lord God, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, the prophets, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. And this is kind of a little bit of a side note. In addition to, uh, for the prophets, in addition for their office of giving, giving progressive revelation and, and had given the authority and office to write scripture and proclaim his word, one of the reasons, why did God send prophets to the people of Israel time and time again? And it says here, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. So the fact that God continued to give and bring to the people of Israel messengers and prophets was because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. So it was an, it was an act of love and grace that God was sending his messengers. But what happened when God would send the messengers, they wouldn't listen, which hence um, this led them to their ultimate captivity. So Daniel acknowledged all of Israel's sins leading to their destruction and being taken into captivity. 
Verse 7, Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, in all the countries to which you have driven them out because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. And, and what's, what's also instructive for us in this heart of prayer from Daniel, he says, righteousness belongs to you, O Lord. So part of God's punishment and disciplining of his people and how severe it was is a demonstration that God is righteous. You know, he didn't question the severe punishment that God and curses that God has brought upon his people for their rebellion because he says righteousness belongs to you. So for us, when, when, we, when we are you know, learning and understanding who God is, yes, God is love. God is merciful. God is compassion. God is, God is grace. And it's available. But also know that part of God's righteousness is to punish sin and rebellion. That's part of who God is. And He's righteous when He gives mercy. And He's righteous when He punishes sin and rebellion. There is no unrighteousness and no shame to God. And that's why, and Daniel acknowledges this. He acknowledges this. He says, but to us open shame. And he's saying, God, you are completely righteous and blameless in your dealings with your people Israel. And I'm confessing that. I'm acknowledging that on their behalf. So God's punishment and discipline of his people is demonstration of his righteousness and their shame from verse 7. Stand with me. Verse 8. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Daniel is continuing with that accountability. Belongs to us, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers. So another thing about God at least when it comes to his dealings with his people. He deals with Israel corporately. So if he punishes all of Israel, he punishes them corporately, and it starts with their leaders. So here's a truth principle as we're kind of going through Daniel's petition here. Corporate punishment, although he, in this case, punished all of Israel for their sin, it's not to be confused or mixed up with independent punishment. So Daniel is a great example of that. So although all of Israel has been treated corporately and punished by God and taken all of Israel, both Israel and Judah were taken into captivity, that doesn't mean that independently you're, you're, you're not his or you know, you're not saved. Uh, so don't mix up corporate punishment, in this case with all of Israel, to independent punishment. And if we look at even the New Testament, we know that Paul himself, even though Israel is in this state of sin and rebellion back then and to this day, not all Israel is Israel, Paul would say. And he says, he's pretty much saying, look at me, look at Paul as an example that although God is dealing with Israel corporately this way, that doesn't mean that you're still not part of the natural branches and it is through repentance and faith and appeal to God that you can be grafted back in. So every person, kind of the takeaway here, even though God judges, let's say, a people, in this case, as people Israel, corporately, 
Just know that every person will be judged for his and her own personal sin, not the sins of their fathers or those in authority over them. And, we, and there's a lot on that principle in Ezekiel 18. Now let's look at verses 9 and 10. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. So in the midst of judgment, Daniel, he acknowledges, okay, Lord, you are severe, you are righteous to punish sin, but he also appeals and knows that God is ready to show compassion and forgiveness and Daniel takes accountability for their sin and again he's saying God you're in the clear and all Israel corporately is held responsible verse 11 indeed all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside not obeying your voice so the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath which was written in the law of Moses the servant of God for we have sinned against him so in verse 11 he's actually referring to specifically, I mean, yes, the law generally, but more specifically, the cursing, the blessing and the cursing that is also in the law in Deuteronomy 11, verses 26 through 28. So let me read that. So God through Moses said, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. And just know this, you know God will always keep his word. So within the law, and this is the law that was given to his people Israel, all Israel, he's saying, here are the law that you are to live and abide by. And that would include the religious observations and festivals, the dietary laws, you name it. And within the law, God is saying, if you obey the law, then that will come blessing. But if you, once you start disobeying the law and worshiping other gods or other idols, then he's saying a curse will come upon you. So when it came to the people of Israel, as I mentioned in, in our introduction, because they disobeyed the law of giving the land the rest on that Sabbatic year, and that accumulated to 70 years, so God says, okay, because for 70 years you did that, or you, missed, you owe me 70 years, basically. He's saying, okay, because of that, I'm going to pronounce a curse upon you and punish you for those 70 years. So God is always going to keep his word, both the blessings and the cursings. Verse 12, thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. So in verse 12 he says, he has confirmed his words and he's referring to Jeremiah's message and warning. So Jeremiah says, okay, you're, you're, you're disobeying, then 70 years of captivity will you go under Babylonian rule. And here, his words were confirmed. They were taken into captivity, and now the 70-year period has passed. He has confirmed his word, and Jeremiah, the, the words uttered by him, has now come to pass, and he did, in fact, inflict wrath upon them, as was warned. Also in verse 12, it says, under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like was, what was done 
to Jerusalem. Now, now this particular phrase, it says under the whole heaven. It says, there has not been anything like what was done to Jerusalem. And I didn't put it here in our notes, but I did dig into this a little more. What do you mean under the whole heaven? Are you telling me the destruction of Jerusalem is the worst thing that has been brought upon a people up to that point in time? And that is what it literally means in the Hebrew. And this is a food for thought. So you know how, how, how devastating at that point in history when they were taken in, uh, away in captivity and their towns ravished and the temple destroyed? Up, up to that point, that is the worst thing that has ever been brought upon a people. And I think about, wait, wait a minute. What about the flood? Wait, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, this one, under the whole heaven. Wow. So the history books that might talk about the, the tragedy and, and, and the wrath that was inflicted upon them, and in this case through the hands of, let's say, the Babylonians or the Assyrians, it was pretty ruthless that it was the worst that has been brought upon a people. It rivals even the flood in Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, God raining down fire from heaven and burned down that entire town, and it's worse than that. Ooh, pretty, pretty heavy. But this was part of the punishment. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. And just also, if you're taking notes and as you're doing Bible study, when it says the law of Moses, it's referring to the Torah or the first five books of the Bible it is the first five books of the Old Testament. Here is a, here's a, here's a key in verse 13. Let me ask you a question. Remember, Daniel read Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said, okay, for 70 years, because of your disobedience and not giving the land Sabbath rest, you will be under Babylonian rule for 70 years. That just ended. Darius the Mede is in power. Why hasn't God responded yet? It's done. Okay, seven years over, they're not back in their land. Here's a key, verse 13. Yet, we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God. This is a critical key to understanding why Israel wasn't immediately acquitted after the 70-year punishment of Babylonian rule when Belshazzar died because they have not sought the favor of the Lord their God. So in order for God to respond and show love and compassion after that 70-year punishment, they needed to repent and seek the favor of their God and give attention to His truth. So no one has done that up to this point, at least recorded in Scripture, and Daniel recognizes that. He's like, so I'm going to do this on behalf of all Israel. So now, it's like, okay, that's why God responded now. Okay, what's next? Let's look at verse 14. Well, let's just first finish verse 14. Therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And therefore, as we're walking through this, it's in reference to their non-repentance. Because of their non-repentance, he has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. And for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds. Um, so God will not demonstrate his love and compassion apart from repentance. So let, let, me, let me kind of digress a little bit here. And let's kind of talk practical now. 
God can't save you apart from repentance. You got to get that. God doesn't just deposit eternal life into your bank account or under a Christmas tree. Really, he doesn't. Just as God will not respond in compassion and love apart from Israel's repentance, Jesus says, unless ye repent, ye will likewise perish. Repentance is a condition that must be met to be saved. And repentance is literally a changing of one's mind. And it starts with how they view themselves and how they view their creator and how they view his word. Once you change your mind on all that and agree with what the scriptures revealed concerning your heart and concerning who God is and concerning the only way for salvation, a part of repentance and changing your mind and pursuing and giving your attention to that, you can't be saved. Just wanted to put that out there. But for those of us who acknowledge our sin, our sinful heart, and that we need a Savior and acknowledge the gracious gift that God has given in His Son through repentance and faith in Him, it is credited to us, the Scripture says, as righteousness, the condition is met. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here corporately, when it deals with His people Israel, He didn't demonstrate His love and compassion. So could you imagine, uh, so think about it as a parent. Let's say you're, you're a parent or you know someone who's a parent and their kid is bad and you put them on timeout for an hour, but you can't wait to take them out of timeout. But in that timeout, you want to see some sort of change. So let's say they're like this for timeout for an hour and then the hour is over. Are you going to rush to let them out of timeout? No, practically speaking, no. Kind of in that same way. You know, this heart, uh, this, you know, this kind of stiff-necked, after God has even punishment, he wants to rescue, he wants to show him compassion, and yet they're still not repentant. God won't act apart from repentance. So kind of keeping in line there. And here Daniel acknowledges that. And that's what's bringing about this petition. And boy, did God respond um, to this appeal in and just as far as this repentance and God won't respond apart from repentance, it's the heart of what Jesus said in Matthew 23. And we're all familiar with this. He says, as he was lamenting over Jerusalem, he says, behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me again until you say, until you repent and acknowledge and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus isn't going to rescue Israel, his people, until they repent and say, blessed is he who comes in the anoma of Kyrios, of the Lord God. Verse 15, And now, O Lord, our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked and Part of this appeal, Daniel acknowledges and remembers the deliverance of God and of his people out of the bondage of Egypt with his mighty hand. And and this is also instructive for us as we're looking at the heart of prayer. Whenever we want to appeal to God, appeal to his righteous acts that he has done in the past. 
Uh, obviously, we want to go to Scripture, but also for some of us, we might have come out of something where God just came in an incredible way. And when you're making an appeal to God, consider those things. Um, very instructive for us. So it says, because uh, God will not, as, as I said, um, was mentioning earlier, God will not act until they seek after him. So that's why Daniel is doing so on their behalf. Verse 16, O Lord, in, accur- in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. And now he, he continues with his appeal here in verse 16. Daniel appeals on all of Israel's behalf confessing that they corporately acted wickedly and that the severe punishment and wrath is warranted. God alone is righteous and they alone are to blame. And as we're studying scripture, and especially as we're going to study prophecy and revelation, which is the book of prophecy, um, this is an important note. When it says your holy mountain, it's Jerusalem. Your holy mountain is Jerusalem. And here's here's an interesting note. Jerusalem is one of the seven mountains on which the harlot sits. You know, the beast, the harlot was sitting on the beast on seven mountains, seven mountains. Jerusalem is one of them. And as we've done in our study so far, we came across Mount Zir in Ezekiel 35, which is ancient Edom, present day Jordan or Saudi Arabia. So we have Jordan or Saudi Arabia, Jordan or Saudi Arabia and Jerusalem Those are part of the seven mountains on which the harlot sits. And we will unpack that when we get to that portion of study. Who are the seven mountains? Because that points us to who the harlot is. Um, Now let's go to verses 17 and 18. So it says, So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. And the very heart of Daniel's petition is captured here. He says, for your sake. That's the heart of his appeal. So God chose the people of Israel as his own people. And because God chose the people of Israel and and has chosen to identify with them, Daniel is appealing to his reputation and glory. Uh, so he says, not on account on any merits of our own. And here, Daniel, he's not coming by works. He's coming through repentance and faith in God's great compassion and promises. Uh, now let's look at our last verse, 19. He says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake, O oh my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. Continuing with this appeal, uh, when it says, for your own sake, you know another way to say it? When Daniel is praying to God, because of who you are, because you are a God who is full of compassion and mercy and ready to save and forgive, Act. And he's appealing for him to take action because Jerusalem and all Israel, he says, are called by his name. And, and I mentioned this before. 
when it comes to the people of Israel and the land of Israel. That is the only land and the only people that God has decided to call his people and, his, and also his land, Jerusalem, and identify with his name. That's their unique identification. And just know that that's not, that hasn't changed. The people of Israel are still his people. The land of Israel is still the land in his name that he chose to identify with. And if we get that, then when we start to study prophecy and how things go down, you will see how that's going to play a key part in the end times. Thank you so much for listening today to Truth Matters Church, another fascinating exploration of prophecy from the book of Daniel. And yet there is still more to come. Join us next week for more on this very important prophetic vision as Pastor Alex closes out our mini-series in the book of Daniel and prepares to take us into the book of Revelation. And if you've missed any of our past studies in this series, be sure to check out our website, truthmatterschurch.org, or simply subscribe to this podcast to access the full list of teachings. And if you've enjoyed this study and are being blessed by our teaching, please consider supporting Truth Matters Church with a year-end tax-deductible gift of any amount. You can give easily and securely at truthmatterschurch.org give. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.